Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name is Mike Tanner, and I'm your host today. And I'm here with some good friends. Ron Huntley, thanks for joining us today. Hey, buddy. And Rob McDowell, one of the coaches here at Divine Renovation. Hello, Mike. And we had a, we had a return guest. We had someone who decided that they enjoyed their time here so much that they wanted to come back. And so we'd like to welcome back Dan O'Rourke as our guest today. Back in a guest seat. It's uh, always exciting and also way less stressful because you know what? If this goes badly, it's your fault, Mike. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's all the pressures over here. Over there, you just get to sit back and enjoy. So it, I, Is I the chair normal now, though? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, yeah, like it was, it was weird, you know, being a guest. Oh before, yeah, yeah, no, now, now, now I'm totally comfortable. Now this, now this, in fact, I don't know that I'm ever going to be the podcast host again. This is much more relaxing. <laughs> We've slightly changed your job description, Mike, and now you are the host of a podcast. Uh, so today, I wanted to, I want us to have a conversation. Uh, we, we talk a, a lot about leadership. That's one of the one of the main focuses that we've that we work with, and I want to talk a little bit about a, a particular leader. Uh, and so I want to ask a question, uh, and I'm going to start with you, Dan, today, uh, yeah. as, as the as the person who is apparently incredibly comfortable as the okay. uh, in this chair over here. I want to throw a question at you. What does it look like to lead like Jesus? Great question. Um, you know, I, I think Jesus teaches us a lot, both through his actions and his words. And, and I can I, I know in, in John uh, chapter 10, 11, verse 11, uh, he speaks about how he's the good shepherd. And that he's going to lay down his life for the sheep. And I, I think there's so much packed into that. Mm. Because what it tells us is, is, is that he, he, he so values uh, his, his, his sheep, his flock, his people, the people he's mm. responsible for, that he's going to put them in front of him. That, that their needs and, and the way he's going to lead us is, is to be willing to sacrifice on behalf of, of, of his flock and of his people. And I think that there's so much, there's so much symbolism wrapped up into, in, in that and the way he approaches leadership. So I, I see his leadership as one of, of sacrifice, of giving. Uh, you know, there's, uh, let, me, let me make this personal for a second, too. The, um, the O'Rourke family crest, so my last name's O'Rourke, Mike, uh, and the O'Rourke family crest. We had it at my home in, um, in, in Thornhill, Ontario, where I grew up. And um, my dad had done a trip to, to Ireland, and he'd come back with a hand-drawn uh, family crest of the O'Rourke family. And uh, what I always loved about it was uh, the O'Rourke family crest has a, um, a slogan on it, and it's uh, "Serviendo Guberno," right? And which is to say, we we serve by governing, or we govern by serving. And it's 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 because the O'Rourke family traditionally was there was a, a line of kings if you go back far enough, and uh, and so it's that notion that that you know we lead through serving, we put others <laughs> first. That we and I just love that, and I think we see so much of that in scripture. What do you think, Ron? What what does it what does it mean to you when you hear a phrase like "What is it like to lead like Jesus"? Mm. I love Dan's answer, and here's the cool thing: however you're naturally bent to lead, you'll be able to justify yourself based on what Jesus, how Jesus lived, and how what he spoke into. Because, and I think Apes does a really good job. You know, the Q five, Alan Hirsch, and that group they they look at Ephesians chapter four and it says Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And when Dan brings up the good shepherd, I mean, who's a better shepherd than Jesus? But also, who was more sent? Who was an apostle more than Jesus? Mm. Who was a teacher more than Jesus? You know, so that whole fivefold ministry, if we're going to be a missional church, all five of those charisms and functions need to be functioning well. You know, one of the ones that I get really excited about is he left the 99. Well, would a good shepherd leave the 99? No, 
that's being irresponsible, <laughs> shepherd. So, you know, it, it, there's this there's this tension that Jesus lived out as he was the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. He told the truth whether you wanted to hear it or not. Is that good leadership? You're darn right it is. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, to be a good teacher and really equip people to do the things you're calling them to do. Do good leaders need to do that? Yeah. The problem is I'm only good at one or two of those. And I think if we're going to lead like Jesus, we have to be know who we are, mm. how we're hardwired, and seek to grow in maturity by making Jesus our center and leaning in on a real relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. See, I think there's a, there's a difference, and because I, I love where you're going, Ron, and um, the way APEST, uh, and so for people familiar with APEST, I mean, it's it's a phenomenal tool that we use here at Divine Renovation. If you aren't familiar with it, take the time to do some Googling, because it is helpful in terms of assessing your own skills. But if, if I think it, and I, if I try and parse apart these two notions, what, what I see in Jesus is that notion that that, that leading is, is serving. What, what you're starting to do for me is you're starting to pull apart, okay, well, there's different ways for us to lead, and we have different charisms in how that that actuates. Some of us are are, are wired to be shepherding and, and and just care for those people. Others are going to be more teaching. But I guess the the intentionality, the the um, the overlay that I pick up on mm. from Scripture is, hey, look, this is about serving, and and I think that that remains unchanged Amen. regardless of how we're wired. Amen. That's a really good point. Well, I think the dichotomy that you see that we sometimes fall into the trap of is in our leadership, are we going to focus on results or are we going to focus on people? Right, one or the other. Right, you know, and (laughs) a lot of times when we, you know, the bottom line and we're driven by, you know, numerical success, whatever the case is, it's it's all about the numbers and people are expendable. Or we go the other way, you know, sometimes in the church is, well, the church is about people, you know, and in the church we should be focusing on loving people. Jesus loved people and all that sort of stuff, and we care for people sometimes at the expense of result. Right. You know, and, and with Jesus, you see that integration to where he knew that he was here for a specific purpose. He was doing something very intentionally. You know, Luke 19.10 says, you know, he came to seek and save the lost, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in, in, in the middle of that, but yet he raised up people and invested people and spent time with people and, and released them, right? So it wasn't this either-or dichotomy that I think sometimes, you know, whether it's our personalities or whether the models we're working out of that we sometimes allow ourselves to kind of fall, fall into. I love that, Rob, because what we have to be careful of doing is justifying ourselves and stopping there. It's like, yeah, I saw it here. This is my favorite scripture. Here's why. And this is what leadership looks like. And stopping there. Because if we do, we're doing ourselves and our church an incredible disservice. Uh, He really does call us to grow and mature so that we're at service of others. I want to read a a passage from John chapter 13. And this is one of the most exciting. I get so excited about this as I put Jesus and what means to lead like Jesus into context. And it's very similar with what you were talking about, Dan. He says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What a power statement that is. Like, just imagine your own self-image. He knew that his Father put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to, to God. He knows who he is. He knew where he came from, and he knows where he's going. Like, talk about a confident self-awareness. And with all of that in place, it says he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel. So with all of the power in heaven and earth, he laid it down to serve others. And that is how we must 
lead like Jesus in the church. That, and, that, and even in your business, for that matter. This doesn't stop at the church. Character and leadership is service laid out to make others great. One of the most, I mean, we, we've talked before here that I became Catholic later in life. I went mm-hmm. through the RCIA program after going to World Youth Day. And for me, one of the, you know, I always looked at Father Lloyd O'Neill was the pastor at, at my church. Wonderful man. And uh, I always really looked up to that. He was this bigger, larger than life love character. That guy. So he was a, he's an He's an amazing person. And um, I, w- I had my feet washed at mm. right, before I, right before I was baptized. Mm. And um, what, a, what a, a crazy experience for me to, for us to shift that mindset between this is the person who was up there and this is the person who was on the ground doing for me. Mm. Um, and that switch, when you can start to lean into that, for me has always been a huge mind shift um, for what it means to me to look like, look, look at a leader, a leader for a long time for me was always like the person up there doing that thing up there. Mm-hmm. But then you look at what Jesus does and he's not standing up here doing this. He's walking among, he is with at all times. Mm-hmm. I love it. And that's why it's so important to us when we coach the churches that we, and even when we speak, we talk about inverting that pyramid of leadership mm-hmm. that, and, and we taught in a, a couple of podcasts ago, I kind of caught Dan on it just, and we do, we catch each other on it. I get caught on it. We, I catch Father James on it. We always want to be talking from the bottom up. Like we really see leadership as, as laid out in service of others. Doesn't, doesn't take away our responsibility. Doesn't mean that leaders don't, aren't making the tough decisions, but we really do see the most the, the roles with the biggest responsibility and influence at the bottom of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. But God, I would I would push you further, Ron, mm. uh, in the sense that I think it's more than just serving others. I'm going to go to First uh, Peter five. So what Saint Peter writes in his first letter, and I, I love uh, what he writes in that chapter around leadership. And uh, so just if I if I pick it up, he says, "Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve." God. Mm. And that's, it, it puts leadership back in this ministry and leadership. Uh, those things to me are, are, are intimately tied to how we're serving God. So we are serving mm. the people around us. Amen. But it is more than that. Our, our, our willingness to serve in leadership roles is a willingness to serve God. Mm. And once you, when you, when you frame it that way, well, that, that puts, that changes the context of the conversation. And it also changes mm. the way I look at, at leadership and, and the people that we try and raise up. It's like, look, I want you to serve God. <laughs> are, are, you, are you interested in serving God? Will you be a leader? Because in, in being a leader, you're serving God. And that, that, is, that is a huge invitation, and it's, it's a huge opportunity. You know, I put that right up there. Even as you're saying it, it just convicts my heart. And I am so frail and weak, honest to goodness. Like, to live in that grace for more than 20 seconds for me is near impossible. Because I agree, it's like when I celebrate the Eucharist, like there's probably a handful of times in my life where I've fully, or, or at least to my fullest potential, recognize what I'm experiencing. Most of the time, I, I'm, I'm only partially able to receive the grace to be present to it. And when you say, put ministry and leadership into that context, I'm like, oh yeah. Like, man, do I ever not have the grace most of the time to realize that I do what I do for God. It's no, I actually love Rob. I want to help Rob. I want to be with Rob. And that's where one time I remember, um, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? I remember at one point in my life being so frustrated 
with love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. It's like, I don't know how. Mm. Like, I don't know how. But I can love my neighbor. And it's through loving my neighbor that the first part begins to make sense. It's only through doing what I can do that the second part comes into focus. And so with that grace that you're talking about, that we're doing it for God, it's by loving you guys and being in relationship with you guys that I start to grow in my ability to experience the grace of recognize God's fully here. Mm. But I, if I try to make making God fully here the first, I'm just terrible at that. That's just me. Well, I, th- I think it's hard to even, I mean, you know, you said you have these, these glimpses, these like moments of like that when it's fully there. I, I can't imagine like, <laughs> would you even be able to process all the time if you, if, if you were in that state fully all the time? And it would be hard. And I think that we can pull out these. One of the things I love uh, with Jesus' teaching is that it's all told in stories that make sense to us. Uh, it's all told in stories that we can relate to. And I think that there's some tactical stuff I want to pull out of it in this case. So I, I want to talk about the, the ways that Jesus actually led. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about his team, uh, so let's 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 get into that a little bit. Jesus taught many, but he invested disproportionately in a few. Why is it that that's an important thing for us to do? What why do, why is that something that we dig into here in terms of our disproportionate investment in things? Remember, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, my friend Wayne and I were trying to connect, and he's been a real important person in my life, and and we weren't able to connect. And you know what it's like when you. Somebody keeps saying, hey, let's get together. And you keep not being able to. You feel guilty, right? And if I was afraid that he was going to think I didn't want to get together with him. And that wasn't the case at all. It just, there was these conflicts. And he was very gracious. And he said, I hope you're busy doing what all great leaders do. I remember thinking to myself, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, what do great leaders do? Like, I don't have a clue. <laughs> and thankfully, I continued on in the email and he said, that is investing in places where you get a five-fold return on your investment. There's a difference between leadership and ministry. Now, ministry is being fully present to whatever the task is at hand or the people are at hand with all the love that you can muster up and just really being present, whether you get a return or not. But leadership is about very strategically and intentionally investing in people and places that you'll be able to multiply your efforts and multiply what you do to help you move in the direction that you're being called to go. And Jesus did that in the fact that he had 12 apostles. He invested so much in them. I mean, he had more disciples than that. But he, boy, did he ever invest in those 12. And then if you study the scriptures even closer, you'll notice that he invested in Peter, James, and John even more. And, and so I think when we're talking about leadership and helping pastors and leaders begin to think differently, what we're saying is, where are those places? Who are those people in your life who are sold out for the vision, who you trust and you have great chemistry with, who you know that if you continue to invest your heart in them, they'll be able to have a huge impact with others. And can you prioritize time with them so that your ministry will grow in its impact and its momentum towards the vision that you've been given. And so that's often hard for people, particularly if they have the strength theme of consistency. 
because then they want to treat everybody the same. Or if they have the heart of a shepherd, because then they want to, you know, where people hurt the most, that's where they're drawn to the most. And so that can be a challenge for them, not that they can't do it, but it can be challenging for them because it feels like it's it's unfair. But the reality is if I mobilize three or four people to multiply what God's calling me to do, I will I'll have an exponential impact on the very things that God's calling us to do. And, and that's the, I think that's the difficult shift for a lot of pastors, and even bishops for that matter, uh, is to recognize that, you know, Jesus invested disproportionately. How are you doing that in order to grow the impact that you're called to have in your ministry? Well, I think we know that relationships form people in a way that information doesn't. You know, there's that old proverb that says you can impress from a distance, but you can only impact up close, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, Jesus knew he he had a timeline, you know. He had three years, and even though no one else knew what that timeline was, Jesus knew. And so he knew there was going to be a time when he wasn't going to be physically with them anymore. And so as he was trying to empower them, he was thinking through the lens, what are they going to need to be able to do? After I'm not here, what are they going to need to know? What you know, and ultimately it was what do they need to remember? Because you know, as the Holy Spirit came after Jesus left and that whole piece. But mm-hmm. but but as the Holy Spirit empowered them, what was the memories that the Holy Spirit needed to bring back mm-hmm. uh, for them for them to know to lead forward and to move forward in you know leading the church after Jesus left? Yeah. So, I mean, that was ultimately, it wasn't the people that Jesus spoke to, you know, the 5,000 that he shared his wisdom with that was leading the church afterwards. It was, it was the disciples. And Jesus even says in Scripture, when I leave, you'll be able, be able to do even greater things than I did. And, man, when you read that, doesn't it sound like heresy? He's like, dude, you're God. Like, seriously, that's impossible. <gasps> right? But he said it. And I think as leaders, are we bringing people, are we apprenticing people that will be even better than us? Or do we see them as threats? And then do we keep them at arm's length because they will outshine us? And I hope that we have the humility to draw people around us that are even better than we are and raising them up and giving them our, giving them a platform to shine and that's one of the things, I know if Father James was here, he'd probably be uncomfortable with it, but of all the people that I've served with in the church, he's the person that I, I've never met anybody like him who is a, he's not intimidated by other people's success. He actually expects everyone around him to be great, and it doesn't bother him at all. Well, that's humility, right? And and as, as leaders, we, we have to lean in uh, to, to humility, and it's not necessarily... Honestly, when, when, when you think of, uh, I, I am not excellent at humility. Yeah, so, so I, <laughs> yeah you got that. All right, I'm, I'm really good at it. Yeah. Just <laughs> I am not so good at, at humility. But, uh, you know, uh, in that same passage in, in Peter that, that I touched on earlier, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Peter goes on to say that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And it goes on, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And I think as leaders, how good are we at giving away our worries and our cares? Like, I, 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 and this is this, I, what I love is that he's, you know, Peter is tying together our, our pride with our worry because we, we think, oh, well, these are our problems, right? It's, it's for me to solve all these things. And I've got to, and so he's tying the, well, I can do this. I can, it's like, no, no, you can only do it through and with God. A, a lot of leaders are really good at giving their worries away. They're not really good at giving them away to God. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of leaders out there who are very good. They'll, they're throwing worries left, right, and center. 
they're not giving it to God, and and that enough, it's all going downhill. And that's when you look at that. If you look at the pyramid the wrong way, if you look at a, a team that is led from I am up here and you're down there. They're throwing worries down at all the people that they should be so true. lifting up and supporting. Mm. And I think that that, you know, that that's that's a big part of that for me is that God didn't. I mean, <laughs> Jesus could have said, I want to explain to you how hard this is going to be for me. I know that you're having a trouble, a, a hard time <laughs> following me along here. But let's talk about me for a second. Here. <laughs> this is easy for you. You got, you got easy stuff to do. I have the hard stuff. And so that's that's leadership. Like that's he didn't impose those those problems in terms of his personal worries, concerns. He imposed them as I need you to be able to lead when I am no longer here to lead. Mm-hmm. And that to me is um something that I just realized today. But is also for me, the biggest <laughs> part of it is that he never like not once. Like he never really said, like, listen, I want to tell you exactly what's going to happen, and I, you know, I, right. I need you to know that because it's hard on me. He didn't lay that on them at all, and it would have been very natural and very human to do that. Um, and if you ever had, I've had bosses in the pharmaceutical industry that, because it's about character, Rob. You talk about that all the time. You know, we, when we talk about strength finders or APEs, those are wonderful tools. But you say those don't touch on character. Mm. And I've been led by people of great character. And I know what it looks like, tastes like, and smells like. And you can see similar behaviors out of two people, but man, can you ever see character? And when I think great leaders, you know, are able to, and I've heard this actually, Nikki Gumbel's really big on this. And if you've ever seen him interviewed with somebody beside him, you'll see it in real time. He always gives credit to whoever's beside him. He gives credit away like crazy. But when blame comes he takes the bullet every time. And I just think, what a great leadership principle. Isn't that, isn't that exactly what Jesus did yeah. when he died for us on the cross? There's he a, took I think the bullet. There's a temptation for us as, as leaders to, to, to lean into to systems and processes as a way of managing rather than the relational. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it goes back to, mm-hmm. to an underlying question of character, both our own, but also the characters that we're trying to form around us, the, the, the character of the people we're trying to lead. And wh- what I mean by it is... is <sighs> There's two things that come to mind. I'm going I'm to hang in this First Peter 5 chapter for a while. Are you with me, guys? <laughs> yeah, open your Bibles, please. First Peter 5 in the Pew Bible. Uh, anyway, so, you know, what he says is don't, and this is what I heard just from you right there, Ron, mm-hmm. about your experience of bosses, is don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. Which is to say, don't lord over, don't lord your position over the people that are assigned to your care. That, that, that's a really critical item, especially in, a, in an age of clericalism. What I know is that they, that, that, whether you're you're a pastor, priest, or or a deacon, or et cetera, et cetera, all the way down in terms of what the structure of the, the church hierarchy looks like, don't lord your position over people. It's written in the Bible. Don't do it. Mm. And and not only that, but it says, but lead them through your own good example. Mm. Which is say, how are we forming people? It's it is through our example. And in 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 uh, in Luke six twenty, Jesus says, you know, a, a teacher is is um, that we are a, a student becomes like their teacher, right? And it's that same notion. It's, it's what example were you, did your boss set for you in terms of how to lead? And what example do we want to set for the people that we lead so that the way that they lead others in our, in our community is one that is, that, that, that is reflective of God, is reflective of Jesus, because our leadership cascades out all over the place. And, our, and what we model is more important than the policies we put into place. Amen. And Rob, you probably know more about this than I would, but there's a difference between the understanding of Greek teaching or learning and Jewish or Hebrew teaching and learning. Yeah, Jesus would have been raised in what was considered a Hebrew model 
of understanding, which was more of kind of a, a mentoring thing. And so essentially what you, you would teach your student to do something and they wouldn't come back until they'd actually applied it and implemented it and, you know, kind of developed the skill versus uh, Greek philosophy was learning is good just for the sake of learning, even if you never do anything with it. Right? And so essentially our modern day education system is built on more of a Greek understanding rather than a, rather than, you know, kind of more of a Hebrew understanding. So we, we lack the accountability a lot of times in actually implementing a lot of what we learn because we're, we're great at intellectual head knowledge, but how do you actually follow through on something, you know? And we see that when he sent out the 12 or he sent out the 72, he sent them out and told them what to do. It was like, no, don't take all your comfort items with you or your security blankets. No, I've been talking, I've been teaching you. We've been doing this together. Now get out there and do it. Proclaim the gospel, you know, heal the sick, drive out demons, and then come back and we'll talk about it. And they did, that's exactly what they did. And I think, you know, in terms of this ministry that God's placed on our hearts, and that is really a movement of God, uh, that's exactly what we do. Is you know because our pastors they go and they go to these seminaries and they learn theology and I think they're starting to change hopefully, but a lot of it is that Greek formation of let's just give them a ton of knowledge but actually lived out how do you lead a church? There's no there's no teaching in any of that stuff and Father James would be the first to say that we literally don't learn any of this stuff and when bishops become bishops they don't learn it either. And so it's and, and so what we're trying to do in our ministry is to come alongside of people to actually live out those principles, make mistakes, learn from our mistakes, hold people accountable, grow people, and it's more of this dynamic learning style that's so much fun. Ron, you're, and so, you're so good at this, and I, and this is what I love because you, you you nailed all the things so quickly there because yeah, our, our our priests are not formed in an environment where they where they um, where they actually come to understand where they're mentored in a, in a Hebraic style of, of, of leadership, which is to go right, goes right back to that Luke 20 uh, comment, right? Is like, we are formed by like our teachers. So, you know, if they're formed in an environment where they're, where they're, they, you know, they're learning all sorts of theology, but have no idea how to lead, they're going to leave knowing a whole bunch of theology and no idea how to lead. And that's what they're going to create around them. And then that's, that, that speaks to the crisis of leadership that we see inside the mm-hmm. Catholic church. And I've seen you Ron speak on this several times from stages and, 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 and at events over and over again. And you speak about leadership so eloquently and you speak Speak about it so well, but what what is so clearly needed is 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 that that accompaniment, so that we can actually mentor and guide priests as they learn as they journey into a different style of leadership, one that they did not get at seminary. Right. And this is what we've seen with such great fruit at Divine Renovation is that when we can do that, priests are unleashed and they become amazing leaders. And I think of it even if I if I roll it down to a personal level, because so much of this is is really just how modeling certain behavior. At my house, um, I model behavior. Some of the behaviors I model are not the ones my wife wants me to model. And I can think most clearly. Uh, and if you've been at my house uh, and you've seen this, uh, my, 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 my foremost apologies, in our living room, I'm occasionally known uh, to take off my socks and just leave them. <laughs> I think you and I were separated at birth. This is, this, is, this is my wife's actually main complaint with my whole life. So, so last night, Laura gets home and my, my socks are absolutely on the floor. And, uh, you know, I I don't even think about it. I don't know how it happens. I suspect there's there's something going on. <laughs> Elves take up. Yeah, I don't know where. I don't know. I don't even recall it happening. All of a sudden, my socks are on the floor. But you know what? Doesn't bother me in the least. But it does, however, bother Laura. And uh, what I've what I've what I've picked up on 
is that um, and my wife has absolutely picked up on is my kids are noticing that the floor in the living room is now where we leave clothes. And so she'll come in. My socks are there. The, some of my son's socks and some PJ pants. It's like she's looking around going, what's going on, guys? And that's how I'm modeling leadership at home. Well, what we expect from that, that's always funny. I mean, you, you know, you and I are both are both parents of, of some young kids. And I look around the house and it, we have the exact same argument. I get mad to the kids all the time. Like, why are your clothes everywhere? And then my wife walks through and goes, pick up your socks. <laughs> and I'm like, this is all a very good point. This is all really good. So I, I really want to wrap up the conversation. Yes, I am cutting us because it's what we do. Uh, but I want to wrap this up with, um, with sort of a, a recognition that we have, you know, at Divine Renovation, we offer a, a model for the way that you can renew a parish, but we also have a, a model for what leadership can really look like, and it, it's directly in front of us in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we really want to want to do things, we, we have to lean into that. You can't say that we're going to separate this sort of process, managerial tasks over, you know, these sorts of things from God. Um, and if, you, if we believe it, then we believe he did it right. Um, and so if we can lean into that, I think, and, and be all those things, servant, humble. I mean, the person who had the least reason to be humble was humblest. Um, and so I think if we can lean into that, I, th- I think it just makes us exceptionally better leaders as we, as we help uh, move the church forward. So I want to thank everyone for being here today. This was a fantastic conversation. And uh, I hope that uh, everyone joins us next week. God bless. Thanks for listening. Stay up to date on all things Divine Renovation by signing up for our e-newsletter. You'll receive updates about the ministry, links to videos, and exclusive offers. Visit divinerenovation.net to sign up. Next week on the podcast. It's what Steve said, the joy of, of actually realizing God, God can actually use me? Oh my goodness, <laughs> God actually used me. This is incredible. <laughs> I, and the, the sad reality is so many of our church-going people have never had the joy. It's kind of like, Lord, you can take me now moments because <laughs> I just have this incredible satisfaction in knowing that in spite of it all, in spite of my weaknesses and my flaws, the Lord has used me. 